Welcome to the JDS Podcast, a place to discuss happenings and exciting topics in our school community. Hello, everyone. I have a wonderful group with me today for our podcast, and we're going to be discussing the school-wide read, The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. So I want to start and just introduce everyone who's here. And so, Jenna, maybe you could start. Sure. Hi, uh, my name is Jana Sharp, and I am a parent of two children at JDS, a ninth grade daughter and a 12th grade son. Hi, I'm Roz Landy. I'm the dean of the high school, and I am the longest surviving person at JDS. This is my 47th year, and my three children all graduated from JDS, and three of my grandchildren. Hi, I'm Deborah Feigenson Savoy. I have been a sixth grade language arts teacher at JDS for 18 years, and now I am also the department chair of the language arts and social studies department in the middle school. Wonderful. Thank you guys for for being here. And I'll just add that I have two graduates of of the school as well now. So I I wanted to share with our audience a little bit about our school-wide read. And every year we choose a book to read. And the way that we do that actually is, is different topics or titles come to my attention, either from our leadership team or teachers in the school. And then I usually, towards the end of the school year, share that out with our entire faculty. And we have kind of a vote on that. And so this year, the the winner was the gift of failure. So, And then our podcast is really meant to kick off a period of discussion in our school community, both with families and with administrators and faculty about the topics that are raised in the book. And so there will be blogs and some discussion groups and our our podcast and maybe some other ways of communicating and discussing the book. So the book that we are are discussing is, is The Gift of Failure by Jessica Leahy. And Leahy details the evolution of American parenting at the beginning of her, her book, how their cultural shifts have affected parenting practices in American society that's trained children to value points and high scores and rewards over the process of learning. This fixation on extrinsic rewards has resulted in an intense fear of failure and from Leahy's perspective has destroyed many children's love of learning. So I wanted first question is wanted to ask you, why do you think society has become so fixated on, on points and scores rather than on learning? I think there are a number of reasons behind the change. 20 years ago, 25, almost 30 years ago, when I was raising children, the world was not nearly as stressful as place. Some of that has to do with the internet, that everything was in your face. Some of it has to do with an increase in crime and parents being frightened about their children and their safety, and so they become very, very over protective and try to smooth away from them. I think that's part of the reason parents have changed somewhat, becoming more of a protective. I think the other thing is the college admission scene. And 35 years ago, it was easier to get into college. My children wouldn't get to the colleges they went to probably because there were far fewer children who were applying to college. And today, the numbers have are extraordinarily higher and in addition colleges are looking for diversity which 35 years ago they were not so much so the competition has increased so much 
if parents become anxious and that therefore transfers to their children becoming anxious and focusing only on the grade or the transfer. Yeah, I mean, I also think it's it's sort of like the easiest thing to see and the easiest thing to think you have control over because there's, you know, it does feed on anxiety. There's so much else going on in adolescence. But if that grade or that score is high, then maybe everything's okay. You know, so I think it's it's kind of an easy target. Like what you were saying, I think anxiety has definitely amped up. I would say, you know, starting with the internet being exacerbated by 9-11, you know, that was a big period of change. And then 2008, like there's just been a lot of moments where the general collective anxiety has increased. And I feel like a lot of people need a place to put it. And, and just reflecting for myself as a parent, as, as much as I think parents do want to like push back against societal influence, we often get dragged into it a little bit. And what I what I sort of see is, is especially in this community, many, many successful families in so many different aspects of their lives. And they want their children not to just be successful, but to surpass where they are. And if we think back a little bit about American Jewish history, every generation of American Jews has become more engaged in American society and more successful either financially or fitting in in American society. And then we've reached the point at which can they continue to do this? So I think there's some anxiety uh, around that. I would also Please, like yeah. to just say that all parents, almost all, in my experience, the thousands I've met, all parents are well-meaning. They don't want to hamper their child or control them or hover. They do it out of love for their children. And it's the parenting is the most difficult job anyone can ever have. And so I think we have to keep that in mind when we talk about what parents should and could do better, because it's not always so easy. Yeah, I think now's a good chance to shift in a little bit different direction. So I'd love to ask what you saw as the most salient points for you personally in reading the book. And what do you think in terms of incorporating some of the ideas and suggestions and recommendations that Leigh has in the book, either to the work you do in the school or to the parenting that you do with your children? You know, I I was, I was liked her argument about how we try to make things easier because it feels like we're helping and it feels good and it's very uncomfortable mm -hmm. to not do that. And so, I mean, I guess, you know, my gut was telling me as a teacher, they're unhappy, change the way you're doing this thing. And so now I'm reading that and I'm really thinking in the back of my head, okay, are you doing this because you want to be comfortable or are you doing this because it is genuinely what is best for your students? And so I think that makes me rethink my grades, some of them, you know, and, and thinking about um, how honest I really need to be in reporting those grades and the challenges that I put before the kids and the amount that I let them or don't let them avoid those challenges. So, you know, on the one hand, it's really important to give kids grace and to be patient and to give them multiple ways to do things. But on the other hand, I do think that can go too far. And this has made me a lot more conscious of ways in which I potentially do go too far in that helping them too much direction. As a parent reading this, I think there was a real irony. The title is The Gift of Failure. And I know we're not supposed to be focusing on failure, but I couldn't help but reading all of the checklists and kind of wondering if I 
failed according to the standards of this author. So that was definitely going on in the back of my mind. The third chapter had a subtitle, though, that actually resonated more with me than the title, which was Parenting for Autonomy and Competence. And I, that, for me, was really my takeaway. It was, you know, okay, how can I, as a parent, refocus my energy and my attention on just raising truly independent, ethical humans? And so for me, that that's my main takeaway, including the list of household chores <laughs> that would be appropriate development. We would need. <laughs> I was feeling very good about laundry and lunches, not so good about household repairs or uh, cooking. I think the thing that resonated most with me was not the discussion about failing, but the discussion a little bit off of what Janice said about independence. And that if you don't give children independence to, to make mistakes, to do well on their own, they have no self-confidence and therefore they have no self-esteem. And I, I see that and I think the worst failure I ever had in this school many, many years ago was a child who we continued to hover and allow to be anxious and not do and not do and not do to the point where he never finished high school and went to college because he never learned to be independent or to overcome those fears. And if you don't learn how to fail and get up and move forward, then you, you really can't survive in this society. And I, I think as you pointed out earlier, I think most parents, they, they want the best things. It's all with the best intention. And, and part of the book is really to point out that often our instincts go against what would be in the best interests of our children, right? In fostering this kind of independence. Just because we can doesn't mean we should, because it's not always in the best interest of our child in the end. That was a real learning, right? That how can we learn to step back as parents so that our kids can step forward and, you know, forge their path and stumble and, yeah. As, as, so as we, we think about the book, are there areas where you don't think Leahy's argument applies? Are there questions that you have when you look at the book critically that maybe something is missing in the book or maybe she didn't get something the way that you, you think she might have seen? I mean, I think her audience, I, you have to keep her audience in mind because I don't think this applies to, there, there are groups of people and sort of situations in society that elements of this book apply to, but I also think there are kids who are traumatized or whose parents are not able to shepherd them through life and things like that. And I think this was just really, that didn't, it didn't talk about any of that. And it didn't talk about how trauma is, you know, because there is that element of, yes, it's great to have them fail as long as there's a safety net. And she mentions that a couple times, but I wonder if you're not doing a nuanced enough reading of this and suddenly you think, oh, tough love, that's the way to go. And then there are kids for whom that's really not appropriate. I was, you know, kind of thinking of some neurodiverse kids who maybe really do need a lot of those supports to be competent. So that argument in certain respects is true of all children in certain ways, but maybe not in all areas. So maybe kids can do chores, but some kids, they need more help with other things and allowing them to fail is not productive frustration. It's frustration that feeds fear and, and won't let them move forward. Right. 
to what is that appropriate level of scaffolding and support or support that we need to build in either as a teacher or a parent or a school. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because I've been reading a lot about this lately. And there was a fascinating article by Camilo Ortiz, and he called it treating anxiety with a mega dose of independence. And what I think she left out a little bit, lady, was a lot about anxiety in this generation, which is rampant. I mean, there's no question. And a lot of the anxiety comes from the fear of fear of failing, and that and until you allow that to happen or give small doses of things, as Jana just said about deciding what you can do and what you can't do, what's appropriate for a child's individual abilities, whether they're neurodiverse or whatever. He gave examples of children who choose something to do that is in their comfort zone that they've never done before that a parent wouldn't normally allow. The example in this case was a nine-year-old who had never taken the bus to school. And they allowed her to take the bus to school, and, and it made more difference to the child than medication. And it's fascinating. Little steps, it doesn't have to be what they're afraid of. It can be a totally different thing that teaches them a lot about independence and what they are able to do. It gives them confidence and it builds their self-esteem and things like that. So it's a fascinating article. Tying into the anxiety, I do think that there's also a social media component here because we have a generation of kids that watch. They just watch others and watch others and watch others, but we also know that self-esteem is, you know, we get self-esteem not by watching but by doing. And so it's almost like as a parent, how can I be thinking about, you know, shifting that from, from being, just a spectator to life to actually be the one experiencing. So I thought a lot about this in relationship to the book, but also to this question about how do we scaffold properly for students? How do we take into account the diversity of learners or kids, in both developmentally and also from a neuro perspective? And there is a, a Russian psychologist, Lev Vygotsky, had this idea of zone of proximal development. And the idea behind the zone of proximal development was is that there was a sweet spot in which if you gave a lesson or a learning or something for a child that was in that zone of proximal development, that was an appropriate task for them to be doing. But if it was too high, then they wouldn't be able to do it. And if it was too low, they weren't really learning. And so Part of, I think, the task of, of a parent is to say, when I give independence, when I am giving opportunities to grow or even to fail, right, have I done that in a way that fits into that child's zone of proximal development that's appropriate? So it's something I've been thinking about in relationship to the book. So, you know, the, these conversations go so quickly, but as we wrap up, I have a, a final qu a question. It's really a, to ask you, as you're thinking of the lessons learned from the book or, or takeaways, how do you plan to use this book uh, going forward throughout the school year, whether that's with your children or with our students at the school? Well, I, I don't have any more children to work with but just the children at school. But one of the things we're doing in the high school, which I think is a huge, huge step in the right direction, is our new grading for learning policy. And 
This program will allow students to take risks, to think outside of the box, to try things they have not done in the past. So if a child's writing an essay, and normally children write essays so they can get an A, now if they're writing an essay and thinking outside of the box and being creative, they can do that and maybe end up with a brilliant essay. And if they don't, they have a redo. And that's part of the new policy and one of the reasons we are making these changes because we care about their learning and not their focusing on just getting the grades or allowing for change. And I think it's a wonderful step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that struck me is this idea that middle school is is almost a safer place to fail because, you know, the consequences are not as, not. there's no real consequence on college admissions per se. And so how can we think about that in the middle school? How can we bring that into our grading projects, that sort of thing, where we're giving kids that opportunity to really, you know, really push the edges of that zone of proximal development, but in a way that's not unhealthy for them? So I think really looking at that question is something I'd like to bring in. And also, you know, we've definitely, we've always sort of worked on growth mindset and the power of failure. Like we've had that um, as a lesson or two but I think, you know, working on their metacognitive skills by being really transparent and almost like teaching them concepts from the book and saying, you know, this is what research says about failure. What are ways that you have failed? How can you grow from that? So bringing even more of that in and this idea, I like the, you know, this focus on self-esteem, like self-esteem comes from doing things that make you feel good about yourself, not from telling yourself you're a good person, you know, it's actions. And so... How can we teach students to give them opportunities for those actions and also teach them to value actions that are difficult because the more difficult it is, the more value it has as opposed to choosing the easy way that's going to get them the A or it's going to get them the quick reward. So I kind of want to bring all that in. Those are really deep answers. I was thinking the kids are just going to start making dinner. Really, though, I, I mean, for me, I think it's it's a constant reminder to just continually take a step back. You know, I, I have a senior. He's going to be off in the world very, very soon. And so, in a way, it's like a good reminder to just really be mindful of, you know, when I'm leaning in because, in a way, at this point, it could almost do more to push him away rather than closer. So that, I think, this book comes at a timely moment. Yeah. And, and I think for so many of our families, uh, and, and I'm going to, we'll end with this on, on, on my end a little bit is, is that taking the long view, right? Which is, is there might be something that's easier or more comfortable right now, but that may not be in the best interest of our children because we do want to foster the development of independent thinkers who can do things on their own, who are going to look at the world critically, right? And can do all these things independent of ourselves. And so that's, a, I think, a wonderful place to, to sort of leave because the school's really about the long-term and not about the immediate rewards. It's sort of about the long-term goals. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. I hope that our listeners will use this as an opportunity to think about reading the book and to get involved somehow in the school, either in writing a blog yourself or going to a discussion group and really thinking about what I think was really an excellent thought-provoking book. So thank you all for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Charles E. Smith Jewish Day School. 
Stay tuned for our next episode.